0: Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 Plus, age varies by jurisdiction, Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See DKNG.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Great to have all of you with us once again. I am Anthony Cazenza, joined by my usual co-host, John Sheeran. John, we've got a special guest lined up as the headlining part of such a jam-packed show. John, how are you? Uh, I I assume you're doing pretty good, not only because of our guest, but because of some news that
2: hit the wire this week for the Cincinnati Bengals. And the Bengals continuing to be active and free agency kind of inspired me to be active and actually leave the house for once. I walked a little <laughs> bit. I did my best to avoid any and all living things. So, at least I got that under my belt for the day.
1: Well, we'll get to all of the activity, all of the moves and shakeups that really just kind of hit the news wire as we as we record live here on Wednesday. Uh, earlier in the day. We'll get to that in just a little bit, but I want to bring in our special guest. He was part of the Bengals 1988 Super Bowl team, 1,000-yard receiver, one of the, the team's top 50 players of all time, as noted by Bangles.com. Wide receiver Tim McGee is joining us. Tim, how are you, sir? I am doing
3: good in what's considered a government timeout. They sit in the timeout, so I'm sitting here. And uh, I guess I'm doing best under the, con- the current conditions and
1: terms
3: that have been bestowed upon me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. I-, I think we all can can relate. Uh, but we, I know some some craziness has happened in life. We appreciate you joining us. And I know I've pestered you a little bit to come on to the program. So I appreciate you obliging us. It's always great. To- I don't know if you know, but we've actually had a couple of your former teammates on this show both very recently and and a little little while back, Anthony Munoz and Salman Wilcott. So it's good to have this uh, the group of the '88 team joining us on the program. I, I kind of want to talk and and start there. I didn't really get to ask them this question, but I'm really curious on your thoughts. You know, the team prior to 1988. You know, your rookie year in '86, '87 especially, maybe underachieved a bit. There was kind of a lot of noise about Boomer Assise and Sam Weish, all that stuff going into 1988. What, what are some of the factors that you think were the critical parts of galvanizing that team to get to the Super Bowl that year?
3: Well, I think you touched on a little bit when you said history. There were some things in the past or leading up to that season that we, I guess internally, and obviously it was noted externally through the media, that we felt we had underachieved up to that point in the season, and it was one of those cliche things where with us, our mentality going into the season was us against them, and them was whoever had pretty much counted us out, and you know we knew we were facing what would be potentially the longest football season to date from the plan in the Hall of Fame game all the way to the Super Bowl if that was a uh, possibility for us, and but. When we, when I look back at that team, we had the motivating factors because we had the talent. We knew, we knew, as individual players and collectively as a coaching staff and as an organization, we all knew we had underachieved, but for different reasons—whether it be injuries, whether it was the strike season, so on and so forth—and. My rookie year was probably the strongest Bengals team that I had even been on. And we had gotten on the roll, and we did not make the playoffs. We were one of those, if this happened, if this happened, we would make it. And I'll never forget, we were sitting around. There were some guys with the live telecast on, um, on, on Monday Night Football, and we needed a series of things to happen, and it didn't happen. But at that point in time, we probably was playing the best football we had ever mm. played to, in my Bengals career were really afraid of us. So when you compact all that in and then there's two years later and we still felt we just hadn't hit it, we just hadn't hit our stride, and things came together, and you know, you, you, you got to understand something. Every fan, every person that covers the game, it is more than talent that has to come together. We had chemistry on that team. We had togetherness on that team, starting with Sam Weiss putting offense with defense, black guys with white guys, D linemen with wide receivers. So we had that togetherness, and when we had that, and we had luck on our side,
2: and we stayed healthy, the end result was no one we felt could stop us. Tim, I'm glad you mentioned your rookie year because it was kind of there was something I wanted to touch on during that season. You actually led the NFL in kick return yardage, and I think you were fourth in terms of kick return average. I, uh, honest to God, like I I can't think of any other job in like American sports that are that is more dangerous and more terrifying than being a <laughs> kick returner. And like even even in like 2020, it's scary. But even back in 1986, when you know the rules didn't exactly protect. You know, special teamers. I can only imagine how scary that was. And just being frank, how did you mentally prepare for that, especially as like a 22-year-old rookie, and then succeeding so well at it? Well,
3: there's there's a combination. Number one, back in those days, you had to pay your dues to get to the wide receiver spot. You didn't just come in, even though you're a first rounder in play, you still had to play some special teams, so on and so forth. Well, obviously, being a receiver and being a former punt, punt returner and kickoff returner at the at University of Tennessee, that's something that was very easy for me to transition to, while obviously I had two great, not good, but great wide receivers in front of me, and Chris Collinsworth and Eddie Brown. Uh, Eddie was coming off of a rookie of the year, and Chris had been a uh, all-pro, so I knew I had to pay my dues just to get into the lineup, get, get some plays. But... You hit it right on, on the head. It's not the scary part. It is, you know, you have 11 gladiators running direct 10, minus the kicker, but running full speed ahead of you, and you knew you had to play like a ping pong and just trying to bounce your way and find that crack before it happened. So that the timing of that was very instrumental if you would have success. I had success my rookie year, but after my rookie year, I'll never forget, I told Bruce Goslin and Sam Weiss, this is not what I came here to do. I don't care how much success I had, because the problem was, and what most people don't know, and this is very interesting, I had to wear bigger shoulder pads to absorb the hits, because obviously my frame wasn't built like a running back who typically returned kickoff. I was not built that way, so I had to add added protection and bigger shoulder pads. Well, here's the problem. In my second year, I started transitioning to the wide receiver. Well, the last thing you want is some big bulky shoulder pads trying to catch the ball. It, it limited your mobility. So it was a contrast, and eventually they took me off. But at the end of the day, when we talk about the when we talk about the kickoff return, just remember, I asked myself to be taken off of it, and what was the highlight of the Super Bowl? A kickoff return by Stanford Jenny So, <laughs> I guess I cost
1: myself a touchdown. <laughs> talking with Tim McGee, former wide receiver of the Cincinnati Bengals, spent eight seasons with the club and one of the most productive wide receivers in team history. Great having him with us. Tim, talking a, a little bit more about your your skill set. Uh, fortunately and unfortunately, we have a, a diverse audience in our uh, in our listenership, so there may be some folks that are part of our audience that didn't really get to see much of you, at least as you played, what would you say some of your biggest strengths as a wide receiver were? I mean, speed, shiftiness, you talked about your ability on kick returns, et cetera, you know, those, those elements. And and what do you think are some of the most important facets at the position today, whether it be footwork or separation, some of those traits that maybe you had that could still translate today?
3: First of all, my game was built around speed. Yeah. And I was uh, arguably the fastest person on the team many of the years that I actually played. But you had to have speed and toughness. And when you look at today's roster, you look at someone like John Ross, who has the speed but can't break it down, having troubles breaking down. I was taught at the University of Tennessee with Kippy Brown and Johnny Majors. Be able to use my speed as an asset, not just to run away from people, which we coined the phrase "if you eat, if we're even, we're leaving," but to be able to stop on the dime and reaccelerate with that explosiveness. So that was number one. That was my—I'm I, I, going to call it claim to fame—or pretty much it was my claim to a long-term career to be able to accelerate, stop, and reaccelerate. And in today's game. Today's game, it is very, very important that separation with the schemes that they have. They don't necessarily need separation. The game has changed so much from a dynamic standpoint. Wide receivers are not basically taught to get open. It's the system that the young coaches are saying or teaching or preaching that if you, in my system I will get you open unless this man covers. And if it's man coverage, you have to get yourself open, and that's where a lot of receivers in today's game do not excel. But when you go back, and you go back to, say, my my personal career, it was nine years with the Bengals, one year with the Redskins. What I tried to do, I had to complement, and the one great thing about my career, it was a stepping stone career from a physical standpoint, because, A, I had to learn how to play kickoff. I had to start with kickoff returns and puck returns. Then I played the slot, then I played the X, then I played the Z. So mm-hmm. I was able to play any and all positions and that's how I made my 11 and that's how I was able to extend my career. So when people who had not seen me play and they, they, they look at it, look at the run after the catch and look at the average catch, average yards per catch, it's still one of the highest that – in Bengals history, mm-hmm. and I prided myself on making first downs and keeping the chains moving. Opposed, I didn't want to just catch passes just for personal glory. It was to move the offense, and that's just what we preach from Bruce Coslet and obviously the late Sam Weiss.
2: So, speaking of extending your career, um, you, you actually, yeah. So, like you said, you played, you know, around ten years in the NFL. You played one hundred and twenty-one games. A.J. Green's right behind you with 111 games, so I'm, I'm sorry to say he's got you beat by about 4,000 yards. I'm sure a lot of Bengals fans, though, would like to see A.J. Green extend his career. Um, what, do you, what do you see for him in terms of the rest of his career and his trajectory? Do you, do you think it's wise for the Bengals to reinvest in, in him in a long-term deal? Do you think he's the type of player that can continue his success even after missing the majority of the last two seasons? Because he's going to be 32 years old this year.
3: Well, if, if, first of all, let's look at that from a couple angles, and I'm going to look at it from his angle opposed to the Bengals angle. I look at a guy that, when you say he's 30 years old, he hasn't played in two years, so he has fresh legs. <laughs> yeah. So he, the number may say 30, but the body doesn't say 30. He has not had an ACL or some type of ligament damage that will linger on the, or that will diminish his skill set, his talent, his speed, or his explosiveness. What he's had is... Bad luck, at one, and on top of the bad luck, it's been bad timing. So when you say, should the Bengals invest their efforts and energy and money into him, I think it's very important to look at the data. When he plays, they win. <laughs> yep. When he doesn't play, not only do they not win, they don't even come close to winning. It is not even, it's, all, it's literally embarrassing the type of team they are. With and without him. Now, nothing away from the taking, nothing away from the Tyler Boys and the other John Rosses and the other guys on the uh, on the roster. But AJ Green is a dynamic talent that you cannot replace. He is like what Joe Burrow. They hope, uh, we hope Joe Burrow turns into. He is a game turn changer. He's an impact player. Every time he touches the football on game day affects the entire defense. However, on Tuesday, that's the day that when the game plans come, the defensive coordinators, the A.J. Greens of the world, which there's only about 10 of them in the league, the A.J. Greens of the world, they shift all the responsibilities from a defensive coordinator's position to that particular person. So all the other guys get to eat off of A.J. Green because he gets the attention. He gets two players. They rotate the defense that way. They call the defense that way. They call the stunt that way. So he is an essential figure. And going back to what I originally said, if you ever want a measurable, all you got to do is look at the number of wins they have with him mm-hmm. and without him. And if they let him go, or if he's unhappy, or if he gets injured again, just do not expect a great season because the Bengals, The talent lays off. As great as a player as we think Joe Mixon is, and I I am a big Joe Mixon fan, he cannot and will not have the effect on the football game like A.J. Green or Calvin Johnson or Julio Jones. These guys are dynamic players that can change the game on any given
1: play. Talking with former Bengals wide receiver Tim McGee, one of the Bengals' top 50 players, as uh, noted on Bengals.com in their team history. It's been a pleasure talking with him. We got a couple more minutes with him here on the Orange Black Insider Bengals podcast. Tim, you you said it. You talked about A.J. Green and him being with the team, at least foreseeably with the team, on the franchise tag for 2020. You said Joe Burrow's name. I got to ask you what you think about the outlook of the team in, in 2020 how big of a possible turnaround they, they could have from the 2-14 and 14 season last year, given that Green is back. Burrow is, for all intents and purposes, on his way. And the Bengals seem to be coming off of one of their most active outside free agency periods they've ever had as a team. Well,
3: the first thing we have to look at, Anthony and John, we have to look at what the bar sits. If yeah. we look at what the bar says and we determine where we're going to set that bar, that's when we can gauge success or a lack of. If we compare to last year, they were 0-11. So I'm willing to bet they'll win the game before their 12th game. <laughs> so therefore, we can look at that as an improvement. Now, here's what's key. They have done some things out of their wheelhouse. They have signed some players out of their wheelhouse. So with that being said, and Joe Burrow coming in, and AJ Green being back, and and and, and Joe Mixon being back, we still must, as I say on WLW all the time, I do at the post game shows, we must manage our expectations because they are still picked by the so called experts to finish last in the division. But once again, they're crawling from so far beneath of the NFL, that's why they pick picking number one, okay? They're falling so far beneath that if they come up or rise their head to a, let's say, six and uh, ten season, we are going to look at that as improvement. Now, we have to go and compare ourselves in Bengals Nation to Chicago, to uh, New England or Kansas City or wherever it may be Six and ten just don't get it. We have to make sure we manage our expectations as in what we think they will be, and we can't settle in on another losing season. This is not college. This is not college where a coach comes in, Coach Taylor comes in, and you give him three years to turn it around. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that in the National Football League. It's year to year to year, and the Bengals, they did not have it, my very strong opinion. They did not have an on 11 roster. They underachieved even to that point. And moving forward, I will never raise, personally, will never raise the bar that low where I will be celebrating off of A, offseason moves, B, the draft. It's all about, as the late, great Al Davis would say, just win, baby, because mm-hmm. that's ultimately We are all tired of, every time they go against my hometown in Cleveland and we lose, every time they go against Pittsburgh and we hide, every time they go against Baltimore when we're embarrassed, we need for those things to turn around to our advantage so we can have some bragging, days of bragging. It would sure be nice. I am just tired of being on the footsteps of everybody's bottom of their shoe.
1: When we play on Sunday, it's time for things to turn around. Amen. Amen to that. And some of the best bragging days that Bengals fans have are the ones in which you were a critical part of the team going back to 1988 and into the early 90s during some of the the most successful runs by the Bengals. Tim, I got to ask you because we had Solomon Wilcox on a few weeks ago on the program, and I asked him to give us kind of an entertaining story um, you know, whether it's about the team or Paul Brown or whoever, uh, he went to the birth of the icky shuffle and Paul Brown dancing to it and and noting that he actually liked that dance. I don't know if you have an entertaining story that you would, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, an entertaining story you would like to share with us, whether it be from the old owner, Paul Brown, um, or Sam Weish. I know you've worked closely with him, obviously being an offensive player. We'd love to hear something about either one of those guys from a firsthand experience that you may have, you may have had.
3: Well, my, I I guess my most notable experience, um, came when, um, Sam Weiss, uh, 37 years ago, grabbed the microphone when the fans (laughs) were back in a little, uh, uncontrollable, I'll call it that. And Sam, runs around and at the time you know the play-by-play announcer um was on the field but he was on the, he was on the visitor's side of the field and he had a spot guy that would tell him hey here's the uh here's who made the tackle here's who made the catch blah 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 and uh sam uh just arbitrarily just jogged around the field we know his famous words uh, basically stop what you're doing and then he used the quote you're not you're not in cleveland well, obviously everyone got a chuckle out of that. And that's one of the most famous lines, unfortunately, in Bengals history. Well, there's one problem. I'm from Cleveland. <laughs> so, so after he says it, I'm standing there, and obviously I'm a uh, very integral part of the team. And I know it was a spontaneous, and it's not like he had a prepared speech when he went over there. But you know how it is. It's like, okay, now I really know how you feel. So from the time he jogs back, uh, obviously I had these thoughts in the middle of the game racing through my mind. With, I mean, from he's my coach. Oh, that was funny. Oh, that was some absolutely BS. Uh, everything was just, you know, all the electrodes in my head was going and spinning. And he runs. He runs. And he, as he gets back to the sideline just so happened he passed me I didn't walk towards him but it was nothing confrontational and he looked at me and he says oh what oh I'm sorry (laughs) just like that I I just looked at him and I go I don't even know how to take that and if you knew Sam's personality truly if you knew his personality you never knew how to read because one moment he was doing magic the next minute he told you to get serious the next minute he was serious, the next minute he was doing magic, you know, he would, he would be all over the place. And um, some of the players, you know, I looked at him and I go, man, I don't even know how to take that one right there. <laughs> so I, I, we get in the locker room, and one of the guys, and I can't remember who it was, he said, man, and you know how it is. You know, everybody in that game is all masculinity, ego, testosterone. You know, they, they come, somebody comes up to me, man, you going to take that, blah, 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 man, I did some blah, 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 blah. And, you know, the, and the guy just gassed me up and I looked at him and I go, it was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so that was it. Now, of course, as soon as I got home, obviously we didn't have cell phones at the time. I got a zillion calls. They weren't very nice. Um, and Sam did not make a lot of friends there. But the last part of this story, in conclusion, to show you what type of person Sam Weiss was. This man, after insulting a metropolitan city like Cleveland, Ohio, he literally went up there for a fundraiser and got in a, I think they call them dunking booth, where you throw stuff at the stadium and raise money for a charity where the Browns fans could throw things
1: down, wow. hit
3: that little target, and he dumped him in the water. But that just goes to show how he was such a great character and person that he made a bad what could have been a horrible situation
1: nowadays because everything's so damn sensitive. Right. He made it out
3: to be a very good situation. So that that's my one hilarious story
1: of my career with the Bengals. That that is that's a great one. Wow. That's amazing. I, uh, you know, one just personally speaking, one the one that sticks out to me that involves both you and Sam Weiss was your performance and the team's performance in uh towards the end of nineteen eighty nine when you guys just absolutely throttled Houston. And uh, you went off on that game. Uh, I think you had over well over 100 yards and a touchdown in that game. And uh, you know, you guys ran up the score and just like his disdain for the city of Cleveland, his disdain for Jerry Glanville, obviously knew no bounds. And um, I'm sure you are very well aware of that. Tim, this has been a pleasure. Um, You know, I, I hope we have you on again before we get you out of here. What what are you uh, what are you up to? We've got some people, by the way, in the comment. We have live comments going there, saying, "Hey Tim, are you gonna are you gonna be a receivers coach anytime? I don't know if that's in your future, but if it is, we'd like to know." And as well as uh, any business ventures or anything like that that you may be up to these days. Well,
3: first of all, first of all, what I'm up to is from a business standpoint. My wife and I we own these luxury sprinters, of which they people can rent them. Uh, this called luxury sprinters, and uh, people rent them. And they take their families on vacation, and then we use the executive. This is big, uh, very, very luxurious van that uh, people take around the country. Matter of fact, they're all in Florida right now, traveling up and down the highway. So we have that business. I'm in a lot of things here. I'm still living in Cincinnati, so I'm still involved with a lot of things. I have a, a car dealership, luxury motor sales. And not only that, I have. Uh, I do personal training instead of mm. coaching. Groups. I do individual trainings of, of groups of no more than five kids. And I, I've been doing that for what seems to be forever. I think I could be more impactful uh, opening myself up to a broader audience and teaching them the game. And it's all about what, why we do what we do. So it's not just the physical aspect of the game. It's more the mental aspect of the game and understanding the dynamics that why why coaches call plays, what to look for, how do you create triangles, two on three, or three on two, so on and so forth. So I've been really, really busy in Vegas, my home. Uh, I've been here 34 years now, and I have, uh, you know, my, my wife's here, my wife of 33 years, and my, my three daughters are, well, I have one in med school, one in grad school, and one's already graduated, which is funny, because I went to Tennessee, mm-hmm. and none of my kids went to Tennessee. They all went to, one actually went to Kentucky, believe it or not, so oh, wow! I had to laugh. <laughs> I have one in Kentucky, one at the University of Princeton, one at OU, but neither here nor there, I just thought it was funny that none no, of no, 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 my kids went to University <laughs> but I stay busy, uh, enjoy it, love Cincinnati, I, I, I work on the radio at WMW here in town. Uh, I heart W um, seven hundred WOW. I do uh, the Bengals post game. Yeah. I do the Bengals some pre games and cover the Bengals a lot with different stations, including Channel Five. So I stay extremely busy, but I'm always
1: looking for that next client. Well, we uh, we appreciate the time. If we can help you spread the word of your own personal business ventures, we would love to continue to do that. We would love to have you back on the program. This has been an absolute pleasure. We would love to have you back on the program, maybe in season if you get the time. I know. It's a little bit hectic during that time, you doing some of the radio stuff that you do for the team, but we would love to have you back on if you are willing and able.
3: You got my number. You just give me a call, and I'll make a way, and we'll get
1: it done. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you, Tim. Take care, and uh, best best to your family during all this time as well. All right. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks, John. appreciate you guys having me on. All right. Thank you. That was former Bengals wide receiver Tim McGee. You know, I knew he was also the voice of uh, the the Bengals radio pregame and postgame. I guess I should have also, I guess if I should have also said that when I introduced him. But I was more, and I'm I'm enamored with the player. That's that's what I'm more enamored about because I remember him playing. Yes, I'm old enough to remember him playing. That was uh, a while ago, but very productive guy. Part of this crazy offense that was the brainchild of Sam Weish and engineered by Boomer Assise. And what a great interview, John. I That that was an absolute pleasure.
2: We have a lot of great interviews, and I feel like that was probably top three. Like the only Tim McGee I've ever known was this character on NCIS. So the fact that there was <laughs> one who was also player for the Bengals is pretty interesting because, you know, i never seen this team play. I, I only hear stories about Bengals teams that win playoff games. So anytime I hear inside like that, it's good for me.
1: Yeah. Different, different Tim McGee. Different Tim McGee. But yeah. our thanks to Tim McGee for joining the program. I know it's kind of a weird time for everybody. Uh, so him carving out, gosh, 25 plus minutes to hang with us. That's that's pretty awesome. And our thanks. I've said it a couple of times over the past couple of episodes to Mike Holbrook, one of our listeners. He is also a former Cincinnati radio guy, current realtor in the the Florida, South Florida area. So if you need his services, look up Mike Holbrook. Um, but, uh, got to, got to give him a virtual high five because he's been linking us up with some of these players of old because of his connections. And we've been able to, to get some of these guys on the radio and we have some more in the pipeline, uh, aside from Tim McGee. Um, we've been in talks with Icky Woods and, and a few others, so uh, we'll be bringing those to you in the near future, but that was, that was great. Tim McGee played for the Bengals nine seasons, was part of the 1988 Super Bowl team, and one of the most productive players in team history. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kazenza. I just mentioned we just talked to one of the Bengals greats and Tim McGee. And voice. Uh, He's not only a great player, he's the voice of Bengals pre- and post-game radio as well. But Tim McGee just joined us. You can get this program on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio. YouTube has all of our videos. And you can get all the content on CincyJungle.com as well as news, opinions, analysis, breaking news, all that stuff on the website. Subscribe to our channels. Keep listening to our show as well as the other shows on the Cincy Jungle podcast channel, Orange is the New Black from Ace Boogie and Zim Hude, as well as Matt Minnick and his Chalk Talk series where he breaks down film. It's been a very busy week for us and for those guys. We've been trying to pump out a lot of content. So if you've subscribed to our channels, you would have gotten a number of new episodes, and we are happy to keep bringing you more and more as we go on. John, I don't know what there, what else there is to talk about. It's just been such a slow, slow period in Bengals news. Obviously, I'm being sarcastic, but I, I mean, it's surprising. As we sat here this week, we were like, well, you know, they had that first c- couple of uh, splash moves, DJ Reader and Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander over the first And You go, okay, well, they spent quite a bit of money on those guys. Maybe they'll back off a little bit. They're not done, and particularly on defense, they're not done. They add in two other high-profile guys, one on kind of a rental deal in linebacker Josh Bynes, who was essentially the best linebacker remaining on the market a week or so into free agency. And then on Wednesday earlier, they sign Vaughn Bell, the safety, again, essentially the best remaining safety on the market. So that's, aside from kind of updating people on where – those get where where we're at with things. We'll, we'll get to what those signings mean in in just a second. Nick Vigil is off to the Chargers. Tyler Eifert is going to the Jaguars. So those are kind of some of the new moves. But what just top of mind reactions that you had on both of these signings?
2: Uh, I think I'm in a similar mindset as you where I'm thinking like, okay, going into free agency, the, the talk was that they were going to be more aggressive, but we, ha- we tried to translate what that kind of meant. And we kind of assumed that they were just going to be more aggressive in this part of free agency where the, where the deals aren't exactly monumental by any means. And Von Bell's deal is very similar to past deals that the Bengals have signed in free agency in terms of average annual value and stuff like that. And the same thing with Josh Bynes, where he's just an aging linebacker, who's a, a, a good run defender and, like you said, the best available player at his position. Those are the types of moves I think that we should have expected this team to make. The fact that they're doing them on top of what they did last week, the unprecedented moves, the moves that nobody really expected. That just is really is the cherry on top of the Sunday. That They've now spent, I think, in, in looking at the contracts that are public now that have actual monetary value attached to them. They've spent over 153 million dollars on just free agents period, including AJ Green, the restricted free agents. But the eight guys that they signed from other teams, I don't we don't know what how much of that is guaranteed, but $153 million in one free agency period for the Bengals is like the equivalent of like the past eight combined. And I I don't think that's an exaggeration at all. I don't think they've ever had an offseason where they spent like more than 20 million on just free agency other than maybe an extension for somebody. So again, we said this was unprecedented last week. the fact that it's still going on right now, and it might just it might just be done. We don't know this is the most active team in frequency, so we don't know if they're done or not. but if they are, it's 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 gonna be hard to top next year.
1: Uh, and you know they focused on the the defensive side of the ball heavily, heavily. I mean, really, the only two uh, I counted earlier today, um you know, the only two, Offensive outside free agent acquisitions they made were seemingly to back up, or maybe emergency starter guys in Xavier Suafilo and Mike Thomas, the wide receiver not not the one to be confused with, um, obviously not the one to be confused with the Saints, but the one who was formerly of the Rams. I mean, you look at uh, some of the other acquisitions here dj reader you've got trey waynes as i mentioned um you know Mackenzie alexander the other addition today deshaun sims another kind of lower end i mean i guess he got a little out outshined um, because of the von bell move and whatnot but um and Bynes, but deshaun sims uh von bell josh Bynes. Uh, the question becomes, John, and and one we're getting uh, at least we received a lot on Twitter and and more as this as these moves came about. And I have some reasoning as to why I think this is playing out this way. But the Bengals really, I think they were like, great. Josh Bynes is a good pickup, yeah. But where's the other help? Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but was kind of uh, some of the reactions I received. Are you surprised? Are you worried? Do that does the heavy look at defensive back prompt you to believe that linebacker is going to be kind of going by the wayside from a scheme perspective?
2: Just, I mean, I, I think it was important for them to, to just sign good players, and the fact that there just wasn't any good players left at the linebacker market after they failed to sign Joe Sherbert, I didn't want them to go out and bring in more non talented guys to fill in that position. I think we've had enough of the incompetence that plagued that position for so many years if they want to just go clean full clean slate and bring in a guy like Bynes who can just be a leader and just be a two down run stuffer who's surprisingly decent in coverage over the past couple of years maybe he continues that um but no I, I don't want them to fill that position group with talent that doesn't deserve to be signed or doesn't deserve to, or doesn't deserve to make the roster i think we've just dealt with that in, enough and i think Just looking now into the draft and prioritizing that position because there's a lot of athletes in this draft class at that position, I think it's honestly just the best route you can go if you weren't going to get a high-quality starter in free agency. I like the fact that if they missed on that position, they were going to just prioritize getting talent around that position to fill out the rest of that defense. It's very clear at this point that they wanted to supplement this draft class with talent in the free agency and focus on building around Burrow in terms of young talent in the draft, and I think that's exactly – what we're going to see, albeit they're going to draft a linebacker very early because they still need bodies at that position and they still need speed. And the only way you can find it is typically early in the draft. But I, I don't mind the fact that they haven't really addressed linebacker outside of binds if there just wasn't anybody worth bringing in that wasn't any better than what they had last year. I, I, I like the fact that they moved on from vigil. I'm just glad that partnership is over because it was just risky to see if he could become anything better than what he was the past four years. I'm glad that they brought him binds out of all the guys that were left because he was the only one who you could be comfortable with penciling him in as the starter out of anybody left on the open market. So, uh, you know, with how they handled the situation, even if they didn't go exact exactly as, they wanted to in terms of addressing linebacker. I'm glad this is the way that it worked out. Yeah, and they've they, they've
1: done what a team that is coming off a two and fourteen season should do, and that is spend money and set themselves up to not need to reach so heavily at positions in the draft. You know, that's that's the one thing I hope it does, John. These these additions, by the way, before I kind of make my point. There are some unfounded rumors. We don't know how how reliable they are, but Cameron Wake is possibly being discussed. As a, I've heard, I've heard his name as a kind of rotational pass rush option. Um, you know, Rashad Jones. I think a safety was a guy that was another name that was thrown out. But I think with Von Bell, that kind of goes away.
2: Right.
1: There's some other rumors about Trent Williams being again. I don't know how reliable some of these things are. These are rumors. This is the time of year. Maybe a Dalton trade to get that off the books. You bring a Trent Williams. I, I don't know. But I hope that the acquisitions, especially for so many players on defense, John, I think this should, in my opinion, quiet the crowd who is saying, accumulate more picks, trade with Miami, move out of number one. There are There is still a contingent of Bengals fans probably smaller than it was a couple of months ago, but I'm still seeing people talk about accumulating picks, get more players. Well, they've added a lot of players and pretty decent names, relatively big names in free agency that are filling a lot of holes. So, yeah, more picks would be nice, but I'm kind of not seeing as big of a need for that given just what happened Wednesday.
2: Definitely not compared to the fact that they addressed all these needs and free agency. Um I, I think the, the whole argument for trading down, like the more the more data that we get in terms of identifying that, I think the more it it speaks to if you have the chance to trade down the first round, you should basically do it nine times out of ten. The tenth time the tenth time obviously is when you need to address the quarterback position. And there's just no there's no trade-off, there's no compensation worth Sacrificing potentially getting the best quarterback in any draft class, if you need a quarterback, and that's the that is the prime and really only reason you need to explain why the Bengals shouldn't trade down from from the first pick. But you know, also to their point, even with all these moves that they made, and even if they you know address obviously wide receiver early, if they address if they get a linebacker that can compete for starting job, if they address the offensive line and get a guy who can challenge at right guard, even if all that happens, you, you would still feel comfortable going into 2021 as, as a team that's ready to compete because even with all these additions it, it's still an unknown how quickly they can turn it around even if the roster does look better you have to see you know how they get through the offseason in terms of health you have to see how these all, all these players mesh i think people are still on that boat because they want to turn it around as quickly as possible and even if they do that it's still not going to be just a one-year fix because of how bad this team was last year and how long it usually takes to, to really turn around in co- become a complete contender. So there's an argument for that, but in the case of the Bengals where they do need to franchise quarterback, there was never an argument where it's it's it, it's required for you to trade down in, into the first round and accumulate picks to get this thing turned around as quickly as possible. It's still a two-year process, but the way that they addressed it this year, it definitely you know makes it a comfortable two-year process instead of being some type of of, of a rush thing. So I'm going to give a, an opinion some may view it
1: as the popular opinion. Some may view it as an unpopular opinion. And I want to see if you agree or disagree. You mentioned that the Bengals are probably going to be looking at linebacker, maybe even upwards of two times in this year's draft. Maybe they look at edge rusher, depending on that aforementioned Cameron wake situation that I talked about. I I think, yes, they will look at linebacker and probably have one in their belt in the draft by the end of night two. What what I think though is that this that may be it. And this may be a very heavy offensive draft. Very heavy offensive draft. And I have two schools of thought as to why that is. And I want to I want to see if you agree with me or not. Number one, it gives the chance to Zach Taylor for for Zach Taylor to get his his guys really accumulate his guys on offense, kind of mold the offense in his image seeing as how they haven't done much to this point in free agency on offense. Number two, I think that there are still avenues to be had and looked at by the Cincinnati Bengals for veteran linebacker help that not a lot of people are thinking of in the form of post-June 1 cuts and final cuts. You have to remember that the Bengals are top of the line, top of the heap for waiver wire pecking order. So if there are guys that are released that are pretty productive guys, maybe they carry a hefty price tag. Maybe they were hurt at the beginning of the preseason. They're just kind of starting to get healthy. They get released to final cuts. The Bengals have the pick of the litter of any of those guys that are put on waivers. A lot of guys on waivers are usually talented. I think that might be an avenue they look at instead of really going heavy at linebacker in the draft. What do you think, John?
2: I think that's honestly a great point that I, honestly didn't even think about because they were surprisingly for the first time in a while last year, they were active at the waiver wire. Unfortunately, they only got like Leroy Reynolds and Samaj Perine right out of it. They didn't really yeah. get any, anybody I- impact worthy, but there's always a chance that you find a guy who's, you know, w- waved at the end of, at the end of final cuts. And he has a chance of, you know, making an impact on your roster. And, and I definitely agree because we've, I mean, the, them addressing wide receiver early in this draft has been a rumor since before the combine, and the fact that they went full throttle on on defense on defense and free agency kind of only solidifies that that's still definitely in the plans. And obviously, like you said, linebackers still going to be looked at in free agency. I think. Paul Dana Jr. of the Athletic had a Q&A session, and he basically said, if you're a top wide receiver or a top linebacker in this draft class, the Bengals are interested in you. Yeah. And it kind of seems like both of those positions are going to be addressed really soon after Joe Burrow's picked. It really all depends on, I guess, which offensive linemen fill or fall in, in, at the end of day one and at the end of the second round because it just kind of feels like they're more content at that position group than a lot of people would, would like them to be. But they really set them up to do what they probably wanted to do before the free agency began. And that's look at, look at speed at wide receiver, look at speed at linebacker and the best way to address those are, are as early as possible. So they don't have to, you know, worry about quarterback. They don't have to worry about safety. They don't have to worry about defensive line. And I guess in their eyes, they don't have to worry about finding a, a starting guard um, in, in like round two or whatever. So I definitely agree that this is going to be offensive heavy, specifically towards the early part of the draft and they're, able to do that because they address defense fully and free agency. And yeah, like until, you know, hopefully they win a couple games in September and, and they're not on the top of the waiver wire or the, or the waiver ordered um, early in the season, but that's definitely a possibility because this is still the Bengals and they're going to deal with injuries and, until we, until proven otherwise. So as good as their roster is right now, there's always a chance that there could be holes popping up later on. And there's always going to be talented players who are available at the end of August and the Bengals will have the first chance to pick them up.
1: Yep. But as it as it, uh, you know, as we sit here today, uh, at least four, five new starters on defense between DJ Reader, Trey Waynes. If you want to call Mackenzie Alexander in the slot a starter, you can. Von Bell ostensibly looks like a starter at safety in some form or fashion. We're going to talk the, more about the, that. The pain, like,
2: the pain like him. So They they are. Yeah.
1: Uh, they are. Uh, we're going to get to that in just a second. And then Josh Bynes, um, you know, another guy who should be uh, in starting packages, early down packages with Jermaine Pratt. So, uh, you know, I, I'm still seeing get some more picks and get more linebackers. I mean, They've done a lot on defense, and that was one of the areas they said they wanted to address in free agency because they were so poor against the run last year. Basically, in every facet on defense, they were, they were pretty awful. So, uh, you know, and 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 part of that is due to injury, but part of that was due to you know a deteriorating roster at some at some positions, and you know they've they've tried to address that. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We're going to be here for just a little bit longer talking. Free agency, the moves, the transactions, and other comings and goings from the team in a very active week and a half of free agency for the Cincinnati Bengals. They have really done a lot of work on both sides of the ball. You can get this program on a number of different audio platforms. Get it there, get it on YouTube. Go to CincyJungle.com for all of the news there. We appreciate the support of this program. Subscribe to the channels as well so you can get notified when we go live so you can join us live, or you can download new episodes as they come available on the channel after the fact. John, let's talk a little bit more about the defensive backs. I mentioned on Wednesday they brought in Vaughn Bell and they brought in uh, LaShawn Sims, the veteran corner from Tennessee, not, if you're looking at kind of the, if you're looking to cherry pick certain stats, not something between the guys, I think they have three career inter- interceptions, um, you know, and, and they both have each about four years of accumulated experience. So not, you know, surface level stats aren't really there, but, you know, I, I, I kind of want to get your, we touched on it briefly a second ago. I want to get your thoughts on, scheme look for Luana Rumo's defense with Vaughn Bell it seems that they'll keep Sean Williams he had been playing kind of linebackerish type of roles maybe they won't I don't know but he had been kind of doing a little bit of Mark barron type of work as a linebacker last year does that increase this year is he just out of the picture and Vaughn Bell's a better fit he's younger what do you think how this secondary is shaping up I mean is it pass rush and pass defenders? Is that it?
2: I mean, that's that's how you should build a defense. In in all honesty, you don't have to have you know a couple right. of standard looking linebackers out there anymore, especially if you want to stop Patrick Mahomes. But I think Von Bell brings the skill set to fill the role that the Bengals asked Sean Williams to do last year. I know a lot of people think that Sean Williams is a full time linebacker now. He's just going to be in that in that position, especially when they're in. You know the nickel and dime sets. Sean Williams had his worst year of of his Bengals career last year, and I don't think there was an accident mm. based off of where he was aligned. I think he's played his best football when he's in a in a cover two alignment, when he's defending the a, a deep half of 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 a field, and when he's asked to come up and you know come downhill as a run as a run supporter. When he was cl- more closely aligned in the box, you saw him hesitate, you saw him take bad angles, you saw him miss a lot of tackles. I don't think keeping him there is doing anything good for his career. But I think that is where Von Bell succeeds the best. He had his best year with the Saints in 2018 when he took a lot more of his snaps in the box, in the slot, and when he wasn't used as a deep safety. Last year in 2019, and this is what a lot of Saints fans remember about him, he was used more as a free safety. He took 500 snaps as a deep safety, and he he regressed in terms of total defensive grade and coverage grade according to Pro Football Focus. I think the closer you keep Von Bell to the formation, the more effective of, of a player he becomes, and he becomes the exact player I think the Bengals envisioned Sean Williams being last year. I think in order to maximize the personnel that they have in the secondary now, you go into two high looks. You have Jesse Bates and Sean Williams taking two halves of the field and, t- and cover two, cover four, cover six, whatever coverage you want. You have the cornerbacks to play zone and deep zone. And then you have Von Bell as an overhang defender, as that kind of rover, as that basically a, a nickel linebacker. I know he's only 5'11", 205. But he's shown to be an effective run support, run support supporter when he's close to the box. He works best when closer to the line of scrimmage, whereas Sean Williams works best when he's in that cover two role and he's asked to come downhill. Obviously, Sean Williams is not the coverage player that Jesse Bates is. But you have to remember also, Jesse Bates, when he was at Wake Forest, he wasn't the single highest safety. He wasn't asked to be a, a, a true deep free safety. He was in a lot of coverage, he looks at Wake Forest as well, and he was really good at it. The, the Bengals asked him to be this you know, one high safety, and he had some inconsistencies last year, and he kind of turned it on towards the end of last year when they were going into more exotic looks, when they're going into more three-safety looks. So I think with the way that the personnel is now with these three safeties, assuming Sean Williams stays on, because it's, I don't think it's 100% that he, his job is safe with Von Bill now making more money for him and under contract for two more years, I think you have a situation where you have a, a potential scheme that that maximizes the talent of every safety that you have, and I honestly think that that should be the plan rather than keep Sean Williams where he is now and have Von Bell play next to Jesse Bates.
1: So you see, I, I, for those of you joining live and/or watching the YouTube channel after the fact, you see here I'm sharing the uh, the deal here: three years, basically 18, 18 million, 6 million per. For Von Bell, that's a big contract for a guy, and uh, you know you got to figure, like you said, Johnny, he is going to have a big role on this defense in one form or another. So, uh, Bengals Inc., Von Bell, transitioning a little bit and kind of centering around the Sims contract, Sims the Sims deal. I mean, obviously he's going to be lower down the the order pecking order of the depth chart for cornerback, but I think you. And our good friend Jake Liskow, I think you guys were chatting on Twitter saying, gosh, there's like nine or ten corners on this roster right now. Are they going to keep seven? Are they going to keep six? They're going to have some big-name guys towards the bottom portion of that pecking order in that position group.
2: Yeah, I think the fact that under this new collective bargaining agreement, the roster size will increase to 55 and you, you 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 would think that, okay, that's an opportunity to go 26 on offense, 26 on defense, your three special teamers. I think if you were to keep, right now looking at this roster, if you were to keep one extra player at a, at a position group, um, seven cornerbacks sounds pretty logical at this point. Because you have Trey Waynes, you have William Jackson, Mackenzie Alexander, those are your penciled in starters when you go into nickel. If you want to go into dime, you have Darius Phillips filling it the other slot cornerback position. Draker Patrick is still kind of an unknown in all this. I think and until we hear otherwise, he's just on the team, and maybe he takes a pay cut, maybe not, but he's still on the team as some type of a, of, a, of a reserve or a spot starter. And then you have Sims, who has experience playing special teams. You would kind of think that he's like, right now, the replacement for Tony McRae, if they want to keep him on as a guy who could just contribute on special teams. They re-signed Torrey McTire to a one-year deal, albeit he's making he's making bet men. And then you have Winston Rose and Tony Brown, who were signed like in December, and you you would think that there are these high upside guys who have ball skills right now. It's nine cornerbacks under contract. And you, you would think, you know, maybe if the right cornerback falls somewhere in day three, you would get a guy under contract for four more years because William Jackson's not during a contract year. Jerry Kirkpatrick's only had two years left on his deal. And you don't know if he's going to be around for the season anyways. So you have a lot of cornerbacks, but you also don't have a lot of long-term stability outside of Trey Wayne. So like, yeah, you would you you would like to see a cornerback be added here if the situation's right, but you have so many bodies there in general. Like you already have enough to go into your training camp and be comfortable with the guys going into preseason, and ho- hopefully it will be a tough time cutting down you know two or three guys on on this position group already. But I definitely don't see another free agent being added in, into this mix. There's already so many bodies in general. Right, but it'll be interesting to see if if the right cornerback does fall in the draft if they take him on because they have that that allows them to have some sense of long term stability beyond like 2022 or 2023 but they're in a good position right, right now with, with this group and it wouldn't surprise me if they keep seven
1: I would not be surprised either I do want to I do want to ask this John switching kind of gears back to offense we've talked about obviously the linebacker and Nick Vigil leaving the Bengals Tyler Eifert officially gone from the Bengals. I think that was somewhat predictable. Do you think that tight end becomes any kind of a bigger need on offense in this year's draft class with him gone? Um, I know tight end's not really necessarily the focal point of the Rams offense or that of Zach Taylor. So who knows what could be the plan there, but do you see that being a more pressing need
2: now? Like Again, I think, it should have been assumed that Eifer was gone. That was something that was rumored from the very beginning of the offseason. And for this exact reason, I don't think there was any way that the Bengals were even considering matching what he got in Jacksonville. He's getting close to $8 million per year for two years, not just a one-year deal anymore, for two years. He did exactly what he wanted to do. He stayed healthy. He produced. He got one last big contract before he enters his 30s. That is exactly I think what he wanted to do, and that's exactly yeah. what the Bengals wanted to see him do. I think it worked out perfectly for both sides. The Bengals don't have to take on their risk anymore. If he works out in Jacksonville, fantastic. All the more power to him. Very happy he's going to succeed. But you look at their offense last year, and obviously it stunk because of the quarterback position and because of all the injuries. But even when it was you know, finally starting to click towards the later part of the year, the Titans still weren't being used that much. And you had a couple of you know, decent Tyler Eifer games in general, and it doesn't hurt to have athleticism in that position, but I don't think it's it it becomes this, you know, all out of nowhere need just because a guy that you assume was gonna be leaving has now left for good. I think you you roll into the season with Uzoma, sample and Carter as your top three tight ends. It'll work for now. I think Yuzoma is still kind of underutilized for what he can do, for what he does bring at the tight end position, but I don't think it, it puts you in a position where you have to take a tight end in like rounds four or five. Um, and especially I don't know what it is with Bengals fans and their obsession with Thaddeus Moss. But it seems like every, almost every other day you get people in your mentions saying, "What about Thaddeus Moss? What about him? You know, joining up with Joe Burrow again? If he was like Thaddeus Miller and he played in Florida State, nobody would want to draft him because he because he caught a touchdown in the national championship game because he's the son of Randy Moss for some reason for some reason he's this hot commodity. He doesn't bring anything different than what the Bengals have in Stephen Carter, and I mean that. Like, there's nothing that he brings that that, that they they should be interested in. Like, they need an actual they need they they. I would it would be nice for them to compensate for the loss of athleticism that Tyler Eifert left. And I think that should have been some type of, you know, already known need for them, but I don't think it it jumps up in terms of priority because he's already gone. I think if the right tight end falls in like the fifth or maybe the sixth round, yeah, maybe you take a chance on them. But again, right now you only have seven picks and at, at some point you're going to address the remaining needs and tight end just doesn't seem to be a pressing need even with Eifert gone.
1: Yeah. And I think also why people are, talking about the Moss thing is he was known as Joe Burrow's best friend. They were college roommates, all that sort of thing. So I think they're trying to connect the dots there. Just my thought. I like the guy, but I'm seeing some people, round two, round three, no way. Uh, He is a day three guy. And, you know, if you want to – Link him up with Joe Burrow and and try and cr- recreate some of the magic there that happened towards the end of the season last year. Fine, but don't even think about it on day two. That's that's not even that's not even close. John, kind of big picture question before we drop the mic and get out of here. Of all these moves, I was asked this by somebody today. I think it was actually Spencer. Spencer texted us, uh, listener. Spencer texted us on the uh, the OBI line. Are all these moves a, in your opinion, a sign of long term change, or is this kind of trying to throw bucket on the fire in terms of a really poor season, four straight really poor seasons? And a terrible attendance record by the team, uh, by the fans over the past couple of years. Is this just something? Okay, hey, we'll do this, we'll do this this year, and then bring it kind of back, and then maybe things will fall back into the way they were. Or do you see this being more of a long term thing, maybe as long as Zach Taylor's the coach?
2: If you're asking me if I expect Mike Brown's team to spend 150 million for agency every single year, it's it's a no. Um, I right. do think the fact. The fact that they were this bad, the fact that they were getting you know some form of media pressure about you know being cheapskates and about not being committed to, committed to win, which has come from the from the, the mouth of me, so I I'm, I'm very complicit in, in in this this whole you know uprising I guess and their their change of philosophy. I, I don't think that this is something that we can expect every year. I think all those existential circumstances that have driven the Bengals to where they are now, the fact that they're picking number one overall, the fact that they want to please their future quarterback and tell them that, hey, we are committed to building around you. We are committed to improving in ways that we haven't before. I think that's more to do than the fact that they're having this, you know, enlightenment and this renaissance in terms of roster evolution. I don't think that we can expect this type of spending every single or even every two years at that point. I think in their preference, they want to take this, they want to take this offseason, translate it into a successful year, get back on the you know the, a string of good consecutive quality drafts that led them to playoff first back in, in, in the twenty tens. This time hopefully with playoff victories at the end of it. I think that was where you know they were most comfortable with and the fact that they got complacent and, and not addressing free agency because they kinda got away with just, you know, drafting well. But uh, th- they should find a happy medium. They shouldn't go back to what they did last year, but they don't have to do this every year. They should find someplace in the middle where they just don't put all of their their chips in the draft. They find guys like Von Bell. They find guys like Josh Bynes. They find guys like Mackenzie Alexander, quality players on quality deals that fill needs that, that allow you to be more creative in the draft. You don't need to sign a, a DJ reader every single year, but you know, every year you should be looking for the next bond bell. You should be looking for the next McKenzie Alexander. I think there should, that should be the lesson in this. They should find a happy intermediate type of philosophy, philosophical approach. Every single offseason. they don't need to do this every year. And I don't expect them to do this every year. I do think it's more the fact that they were feeling some type of pressure and the fact that they were so bad last year. This,
1: what you're seeing this off season is kind of the culmination of a perfect storm of a lot of different factors. You look at, I mentioned the attendance, that's driving, or lack thereof, that's driving things. I'm sure there's, pro- there's probably been some internal conversations with, and or with Joe Burrow when they met with him, um, internal conversations about some of the things that have been, some dirty laundry that have been aired out in the media from the Carson Palmer era in terms of not getting the help he needs and that kind of PR hit that they took there, I'm sure that may have prompted some things. They overestimated their roster last year and and the year before. And, And, you know, guys that left, they thought they may get some compensatory picks. They didn't. So they don't have a lot of picks to play with this year where they can get some of these pieces that they've picked up potentially in free agency. They're sitting on a lot of money in terms of cap space. So a lot of these factors have led to, and then of course, I think the influence, the increased influence by the young coach and his staff as well. I think that plays into it, but all of those ingredients have led to this very active off season. And, and I don't expect it, like you said, John, to be, you know, 120, 130, 140 million per off season. And if the Bengals did this the right way this year, if these acquisitions pay, pay off, They won't need to because they will be set up with some talented guys for the next couple of years. So they won't need, hopefully, they won't need to do this in the next couple of years. It's entertaining. It's great to see the Bengals do something completely different than what they've done. But I don't expect this to be a year after year type of practice with this team going forward in terms of the amount of money, the somewhat big name acquisitions that they have brought in to. Their, their roster in the form of outside free agency. I just don't really see it. But stranger things have happened like we've seen this offseason. So that's our thoughts on that. John, let's drop the mic and get out of here. I, we usually kind of maybe say some serious things here. I didn't really know where to go with this. So I kind of just said, hey, you're we're, we're in this quasi-quarantine lockdown thing. What are some shows, movies, video games, something you're kind of binging on right now during this time? If if even anything at all?
2: Uh, I'm currently watching Westworld on HBO. Hmm. Um, I don't like yeah, I, I find it interesting. I think well, it's very mixed opinion based off of the people who watch it. It's definitely confusing if you just watch it casually. Um, if you're looking for a show to binge, I am like the worst person that I do not like watching Netflix that much. I've never seen an episode of the office. Um, I I think if you're looking for a new show or a show that me, yeah, yep. It's true. Um, Peaky blinders though. I I know there's still a decent amount of people who haven't seen Peaky blinders, but if, if you like quality TV, I would definitely try to start that. Um, I think it's four seasons in and it's some of the best TV I've ever seen. Definitely that.
1: Yeah. Uh, really surprised about the office, my friend. Wow. Uh,
2: I, I, I tried. I, I couldn't do it.
1: Yeah, I, I I can see how it's a little slow to start. I, I understand. You have to understand the kind of the concept of the show. I, I but I understand. I've I've heard that before. Um, I don't agree with it, but I have heard that before. I, you know I, I there are a couple. Just I mean you know kind of some some usual things. I have one odd one that I want to say that I kind of stumbled on because I I had been watching some Netflix shows and stuff like that, and I'm like, I just want something different, new, and whatever. And, And oddly enough, it's some of the themes of the show, even though the show was made, God, 60 years ago, some of the themes of the episodes of the show really resonate with some of the situation going on that we're dealing with in terms of panic and you know, societal issues. It's, it's the old twilight zone, believe it or not. I don't know what drew me to it, but especially the very first season, there are a handful. There are a lot of episodes in it, but there are a lot of handful that actually for a 60 year old show, it being in black and white, Kind of old school acting, obviously terrible special effects by today's standards. It's actually a really interesting show. It's a really well-made and interesting show, at least conceptually. Um, I know there's been different incarnations later on down the road, and I don't think they were as successful, but as weird as that sounds, the old, old, old Twilight Zone, I, its makes me, I, I, I'm the old guy on the show, but it makes me sound even older than I am, but I'm not that old. Really weird show. One I want to start watching, though. On the completely opposite side of the spectrum is Shit's Creek. I hear that show is amazing, and uh, I really want to watch
2: that one. Interesting. I've I've heard the Twilight Zone. I've always just imagined. I always just imagined like a documentary on the literal Twilight Zone of the ocean. Uh, like for the longest time, I didn't know it's just about like weird stories. So, it is, it's, but it's, e- it's, even still, like I, <laughs> I, I would I would need to be convinced to watch it because I. I Typically, don't like to get freaked out that much when I watch TV, but if it's quality, I might have to, I'm about to check it out. It's
1: it's not it's not like horror. It's more like ooh, it it's it, it yeah. There's some thriller aspects to it, I guess, but it's more it's more uh mind bendy. It's more kind of I don't know. You ta- it,
2: it's just it's different. It, it's like a, it's like an older day. Is not it is it an old timey Black Mirror?
1: Yes. Yes, essentially, and okay. less less risque, obviously, but uh, <laughs> v- very much so. Where you go, ooh, that's a that's a interesting. And sometimes it's it's a take on like an old fable or fairy tale, on a, and they kind of modern day twisted. And a lot of it also in the first season has has a lot to do with uh, like space travel, and it's just very interesting, very interesting, very different. Obviously, by like I said, by special effect standards by today, it's kind of cheesy. Different act, different style of acting. Very dramatic, you know. Um, but it's just, it's it's an it's a very unique show. And for some reason, I'm like, hey, for a 60 year old show, this is pretty neat. Um, so I don't know if people are looking for things to watch these these days. Um, Westworld and maybe maybe Twilight. Westworld's supposed to be unique too in that same kind of sort of vein. So um check those shows out i guess if you're looking for things to watch speaking of checking out shows thanks for checking out ours you can uh, get it on any number of audio platforms i've mentioned them a ton of times before itunes stitcher spotify google play megaphone iHeartRadio. radio you can subscribe to our youtube channel as well all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com get the other shows on our channels check those out from our colleagues
2: john anything else before we bounce on out of here Shout out to Michael Jordan on Facebook. It sounds like Michael Jordan only if you're from Boston. Uh, yeah, shout <laughs> to him. I like
1: it. Yeah, and uh, thanks again to Tim McGee for joining the program. Hopefully, those of you whether you're on maybe the older end of the age spectrum enjoyed that interview, going pat, going reliving some past glory days of the Cincinnati Bengals. And if you are a newer Cincinnati Bengals fans, maybe you got a little more well educated in terms of Bengals history. That was a great interview, man. That was, that was awesome. It really was. Yeah. That was (laughs) awesome. So uh, thanks everybody. Thanks for tuning in live. Thanks for subscribing to our channels. We'll see you next time.